0: The Shadows. The Shadow Girls are back from London. We had a great time at the Vaults Festival. Thank you to everyone who came to see the show. We really loved doing it and would love to come back to the Vaults at some stage in the future. The scheduling of future episodes is going to be a little bit more ad hoc than usual, given current global situations. But even if we can't get together to record in person, We are going to try to send you out some stories, even if that means us recording separately. In an attempt to try to make up for that, and also to provide a little bit of entertainment to those who may be stuck at home, we're going to be trying to go give out more episodes and more stories, even if they will be mini-episodes. So, to kick things off, given that this weekend is St. Patrick's Day, or, well, Tuesday is St. Patrick's Day, but this is St. Patrick's Day weekend... I thought it might be appropriate to tell a few leprechaun stories. And as you may already know, Deirdre Shannon and I do work at the National Leprechaun Museum of Ireland. So leprechauns are, uh, are something, if we're not experts in, we're certainly well versed. So I'm going to begin this by first giving you a few little leprechaun factoids and then telling you probably one of the most well-known leprechaun stories, or at least one of the stories that is most often retold in different variations in the museum. To start with, what is a leprechaun? Well, there's a bit of a debate about that, even among the museum. Uh, Some of us claim that they are a type of fairy, a subcategory of fairy. Others claim that leprechaun is really kind of a job description for a certain type of fairy. And then there are others who claim that they're not fairies at all, but something closely related to them. I personally subscribe to the theory that they are a type of fairy, but most of the categorisation that we have, well, it's humans categorising them rather than them categorising themselves. Where do leprechauns come from? Well, the oldest recorded leprechaun story uh, dates from the 8th century. It's the Saga of King Fergus. And if you wanted to hear that story told in full, I'd highly recommend you go look up the Leprechaun Museum podcast. I think in episode one, Pawdy Holly tells a version of this story. Now, this story, it's actually found, amazingly, in a legal document. The saga of King Fergus, it, well, it contains details of his life, his death, but also his judgments. Ancient Ireland, we didn't actually have the death penalty. Uh, not because we were morally opposed to killing people, but just because we, we we deemed people were, they were too useful to waste. If you did commit a crime, say murder, the punishment was not your death. It was that you needed to pay the honour price of the life you had taken. This price was often given in uh, cows because well, that was a standard unit of currency. Cows were very important uh, to the people at this time. If you look at any great Irish legend, there's, there's bound to be at least one cow and the big Torn Bo uh, the cattle raid of Cooley, that is all a fight about a cow. There's a whole genre of cattle raids, cow stealing. And in the great romantic story, The Tragedy of Deirdre of the Sorrows, Nisha, who is madly in love with Deirdre, compares her to a fine heifer. And this was seen as a great compliment. So cows were very important. Uh, I believe that one good cow could be worth about three human slaves because, well, ancient Ireland had slavery. Slaves were often taken in battles, in raids. But if you committed a crime and you didn't have enough cows to pay it, well, you yourself would then become a slave, paying the price. This comes up in the saga of King Fergus because... A band of young men get together and uh, cause riot and mayhem and a few deaths before high skipping it over to Scotland. Because if you are an ancient Irish warrior and you get in trouble, you go to Scotland. It shows up over and over again uh, in Deirdre of the Sorrows as well. Because these men aren't there to pay the price themselves, their families. They are seen to have to pay the price and so a young woman ends up becoming the bond maiden or the slave of king fergus due to the crimes her brother commits so where are the leprechauns well the leprechauns show up almost as a side note because near ulster there is said to be a magical island known as faylin and this is home to the lu corpons modern-day leprechauns, who are said to be very small, magical, almost water-sprite-like creatures, and they are capable of causing great mischief and of granting wishes. And if you want to hear more of that story about how King Fergus meets the leprechauns or the leucorpons, again, go listen to Paudie. The word leucorpon, it comes from the Irish meaning small body, because, well, they are small. But there's another theory that it's actually an ancient Irish pun. In Ireland, we had the god Lu, one of the Tuatha Dé Danann, who we've spoken of before. And there is a theory that Lu Corpon comes from the small bits of the body of Lu. That this was an idea of when Christianity came to Ireland, when the old gods and the Tuatha Dé Danann were less, not vilified, uh, verified, worshipped, seen as of less importance, that, well, they had to cut down the importance of the old gods. So Lu, who was associated very much with craft, uh, he was cut down and made into this figure of fun, this idea of the leprechaun. And in some old forms of leprechaun stories, you do find this thing of, one leprechaun can do a certain amount of magic, but the more of them you gather together, the stronger their magic becomes, which is quite interesting and it's something Porty brings up in the story and I swore at the time he was making it up but apparently he wasn't. Are there female leprechauns? That's another question we often get at the museum. Leprechauns generally seem to be depicted as male but this I think is more of the idea of male being the default setting for a character rather than relating to the actual gender diversity of the leprechauns. In the first recorded leprechaun story there is at least one named female leprechaun. Her name is Bebo or Bevo. Uh, again, it's an Irish name, an ancient Irish name, so spelling and pronunciation don't always go together. But I call her Bebo because I grew up when that was uh, the main social networking site, the precursor to Facebook. So I'm just thinking of Queen Bebo having her little profile. And she is married, both on the social network and in real life, to the king of the leprechauns, King Ulfdawn. And the two of them live quite happily together on Phalaen, ruling over their leprechaun kingdoms. It's been claimed by others, though, that there are no female leprechauns. One of my colleagues in the museum, Nisha, uh, says there are no female leprechauns because leprechauns, rather than being a separate species, as it were, are, in fact, children of the fairies who are seen as being just too bad-tempered and ugly to be in polite society which is why they are solitary fairies. Yeats and others categorise the Irish fairies as trooping or solitary. And he says that these were basically very bold little boys who weren't allowed in the fairy hill who were chucked outside to become leprechauns. Or that when the fairies stole and replaced a human child with a changeling, changelings generally being male and being, again, cranky, unpleasant to look at, unpleasant to be around, if the family managed to swap them back Well, these creatures, they were sort of stuck somewhere in the middle ground. They couldn't go back into the fairy world, but they couldn't truly go into the human world. So they existed on the margins of both becoming the leprechauns. Bob Kern, in his book, The Truth About Leprechauns, a book that I highly recommend, also says that there are no female leprechauns. But interestingly, he also includes reference to the vampire lady leprechauns of Schneem. And if that doesn't sound like a brilliant title for a 70s style B horror movie, I don't know what is. Please, someone make a poster for the vampire lady leprechauns of Schneem in the style of the old Hammer horrors. Actually, that might be a project I take up while I'm stuck at home. Schneem is a small village or township down in Kerry. And we all know that if there's a strange story happening, it, it's probably going to be happening in Kerry the vampire lady leprechauns are said to live near an old abandoned fortress in schneem called the Fortress of Slaughter by some, and that these tiny little, very attractive women, if during the season of Lent you break the black fast, i.e., put milk in your tea, they will sneak into your house in the dead of night and suck your blood. Yeah, they're they're a little bit strange. And again, an example of how fairy lore and Catholicism often gets mixed up in Irish folklore. I am of the opinion that, yes, there are female leprechauns. Gender, after all, is a spectrum. And a spectrum is a bit like a rainbow. And if anyone belongs in a rainbow, it's a leprechaun. Leprechauns are also known to be able to shape shift to change their form. So I am firmly of the belief that there are leprechauns who identify as female, leprechauns who identify as male, Leprechauns who are gender-fluid, non-binary. Everything between and outside, they're magical fairy creatures. I don't think they're bound by binaries, and they definitely aren't all male. What size is a leprechaun? Again, a difficult one to answer. In some records, they're said to be so small that the close-cut grass barely touches their waists. Others the saga of King Fergus describes Queen Bebo as being three fists or three apples in height whereas others will say they are the third the height of a human. Again this could go to the theory that leprechauns aren't a set species it's more of a job description or a title or that being creatures that can change their form they can change their size as well. Now here's a big one what do leprechauns wear? Well if you go into any souvenir shop in Dublin you will find a leprechaun And they will most likely be dressed top to toe in green. This is largely a 20th century invention. Uh, Green was very much associated with Irish nationalism. And though it's not the national colour of Ireland, the national colour of Ireland is blue. St. Patrick's blue. So if everything around you has been painted green this weekend, just remember it should be blue. Leprechauns only really started wearing green around the 20th century, particularly after a certain film was made called *Darby O'Gill and the Little People*. Now, this is a lesser-known Disney film, uh, starring, starring Sean Connery of all people in one of his uh, his very early film roles. And in this film, you can hear him attempting an Irish accent, also attempting to sing. I recommend watching the film just for that; it's it, it's interesting. This film, also though, as the name would suggest it features a number of leprechauns most of these leprechauns are dressed in brown and red which was the color traditionally associated with leprechaun dress in the 19th century only one of the leprechauns is wearing green he is the king of the leprechauns king brian connors of Knocknashina, and because he is the king he needs to stand out He's also a main character, so the colour difference helps people to differentiate him from the other tiny men running around causing mischief. But being a main character, he was what most people leaving the cinema remembered. They remember Brian, they remember Brian was a leprechaun, they remembered Brian wore green. And this, mixed with associations with Ireland and Shamrocks, Ireland and the Emerald Isle, well it soon became that leprechauns wore green. I mentioned before, though, that in the 19th century, leprechauns were seen as wearing red and brown. Brown because it it helped them blend in with their surroundings, avoid human capture, because we humans seem to have this uncontrollable urge when we meet a leprechaun to try to take them kidnap and hold them hostage for wishes or wealth. Uh, Unfortunate habit of humanity. The Story Archaeology podcast in their episode A Load of Old Cobblers go into more detail about how the process of folklore collecting in the 19th century may have led to a few people not quite getting jokes and then things being written down and repeated and if one person makes it up and enough people repeat it, it becomes fact. And that's how the leprechauns were associated with wearing brown and red. But if you go back to the earlier records, again to the leprechauns of Fay they're described in wearing all sorts of colours and clothes. And as you find with a lot of manuscripts from that time, they go into great detail describing the beauty and the sumptuous of everyone's wardrobes. So what do leprechauns wear? Well, I suppose they wear whatever they feel like wearing. They might wear green if they're trying to, you know, appeal to a more commercial market. They might wear brown and red if they're getting a bit of sort of 19th century retro. Or they might wear white and blue silk, for all I know. Or they could be wearing an old pair of jeans. And my final fact, leprechauns and the pot of gold. Now, the most common associated thing with leprechauns is, oh, they have a pot of gold, and that's what humans normally try to steal. And there are a number of stories featuring leprechauns and their gold, but there are just as many, if not more, stories that feature no pots of gold whatsoever. But where does the gold come from? Well, I have a few theories on this. Leprechauns are often described, particularly from 19th century records on, as being cobblers. They are shoemakers. Again, this could be connected to the idea of them being from the god Lu, who was the god of craft. They were good makers. They were good with their hands. They were good at fixing things or breaking things, if they wanted. But this idea of them being shoemakers became very popular. And of course, in the fairy world, nothing is for free. You must always Pay for things, often in trade or deals or favours. And leprechauns seem to be paid in gold. The fairies, they live under the earth in the entrances to the fairy world, but fairies, they like shiny things. They like things that will help them reflect light because spending a lot of time underground in fairy hills, they have limited access to light, so they look for reflective surfaces to make the most of the little they have. So, my theory is that is why leprechauns are paid in gold because it's a shiny metal that will last a long time. Why do they have so much gold? How do they manage to get a full pot of it? Well, again, fairies live for a very, very long time. The pot of gold represents decades, if not centuries, of work, which again makes it very unkind of us humans to try to steal it from them. And now finally, I'm going to tell you a story about leprechauns. And yes, This story does feature a pot of gold. This is the story of the Red Sox. Now once, there was a man called Mihol. He was a curmudgeonly fella. He was always complaining about something or other. And as if this wasn't bad enough, he was also a notorious miser. Folks used to say that when he walked down the street, his feet made no sound. He was too mean to give the noise away for free. But one day he was heading home and, well, he thought he heard something. It sounded a bit like a, a tapping. So he decided he would investigate. He left the path, he went into the woods, and he saw what was making the noise. It was a person. Quite a small person. Dressed in a brown jacket with a red cap. And this little person, they were just sitting there, minding their own business, hammering away on a tiny shoe. Well, Miho, he knew what this was. This was a leprechaun. So as quiet as a cat. He took off his coat and he began to creep up on the fairy cobbler. He pounced, He bundled the leprechaun up. And the leprechaun, without well, the faintest idea what was going on. All they knew was the world had gone dark. They were upside down. So they began to scream. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. go, no, not no no no, 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 no. The mule he held tight to the leprechaun and said, I've got you now, Mr. Leprechaun. And I won't be letting you go. Not till you tell me where the gold is. And the leprechaun paused. Did you just call me Mr. Leprechaun? Okay, take a good look at me. Do I look like a Mr. Leprechaun? No. I'm a lady leprechaun. What? You don't know leprechauns can come in a female variety. Have you not been to the National Leprechaun Museum to know and tell you about this? Did you not listen to Emily on the podcast there? Well, Michal, he he apologised for misgendering the leprechaun. But he wasn't going to let her go. (laughs) Not until she told him where the gold was. And the leprechaun, well, she realised quite quickly uh, she didn't have a lot of choice in this situation. So she said, All right, all right, all right, you horrible big thing. My gold. Well, my gold. Oh, my gold. It's already here. It's buried. It's under that tree there. Now, would you please put me down? I've got things to be doing. I am a very busy person. Micheal, he was, he was going to release the leprechaun. I mean, all he had to do now was head home, pick up a shovel. He could come back. He could take up the gold. But then I remembered. Leprechauns are tricksters. They'll always try to hold on to their gold. What if, when he was gone, she moved the gold somewhere else? Or maybe, maybe she was hoping he wouldn't be able to remember which tree the gold was buried under. But Micheal, well, he knew a few things about leprechauns. He knew that they are fairies. And fairies must obey certain rules. One rule is, well, the law of balance. The second rule, though, is that they cannot tell lies, at least not directly. And the third, once they make a promise, they have to keep it and keep it to the letter. So, mijo, he became a man with a plan. He took off one of his shoes and beneath he was wearing bright red socks. He took the sock, he hung it on the tree, then he turned back to his little leprechaun captive and said, No, leprechaun, you're going to make me uh, two promises. First promise, you're not to move the gold while I'm gone. Second promise, you see my sock there? Well, you're not to interfere with it in any way. That means no moving it, no destroying it, no turning it into something else. You are to leave it well and truly alone. And the little leprechaun, she crossed her teeny tiny heart and she promised she wouldn't move the gold when Michal was gone. She wouldn't interfere in any way with Michal's sock. Michal, thinking he had thought of everything, released her and she vanished. He skipped off home, picked up a shovel, came back into the woods and began to look around for that tree with the red sock. He saw it. He went over and he began to dig. He dug and he dug, but though he kept digging... He wasn't finding any gold. He took a bit of a break to try to work out what could have happened. I mean, he knew the leprechaun couldn't have moved the gold. She couldn't break a promise. And the sock was there, so this had to be the right tree. And then he saw it. There was another tree. This tree also had a red sock. There there was another tree over to his left, very similarly adorned with a red sock, and uh, that tree over there had a red sock... So did that one, and that one, and that one. In fact, all of the trees. They now all seemed to have red socks. Because the leprechaun, well, she kept her promise. She had promised not to interfere with Michal's sock. No one said anything about putting up a few more socks. So Michal, well, he went home with nothing but blisters. And the leprechaun, well, she kept her gold. Because the leprechaun will always keep the gold. So that is the story of the Red Sox. It's one we tell a lot in the Leprechaun Museum because, well, we have a forest part where if you turn a corner, you suddenly see a lot of red socks, so it makes sense. It's also very characteristic of a lot of leprechaun or even fairy trickster stories. Fairies are very particular with words. Yes, they must keep their promises, but to the letter. I have a theory that leprechauns would actually make very good lawyers. I even have a story which features a leprechaun court, but well, that's probably a story for another time. I hope you've enjoyed this, uh, this very brief look at leprechauns. You'll hopefully hear some more soon from some other voices as well. I hope you're staying well. I hope you have a happy St. Patrick's Day. I hope you have a happy every day. If you're enjoying this podcast, well, you can find us on various of the social medias on Facebook and Instagram. We are Tales from the Shadows because, well, the theatre group was called Tales from the Shadows. And then I called the podcast Sounds from the Shadows. But I've kept the same name for both, which at first I thought would be simpler, but now I think might be more confusing. On Twitter, we are at Tales Shadows. Again, give us a shout if you've got any questions about stories leprechaun stories stories in general or a story you'd like to hear one of us tell we have a wonderful snazzy website talesfromtheshadows.com and if you're really enjoying the podcast and would like to support us both in the podcast and in making our live shows we have a kofi. you can find us there at from the shadows ko is where you can give artists whose work you appreciate uh, a once-off donation of About the Price of a Coffee. Or if you'd like to give us a more long-term pledge-type donation, we are on Patreon. Again, thank you to all those people who do support us and who have supported us. It makes a huge difference. It helps us continue to make the podcast. It helped us make the live shows. It'll help us make future live shows. And again, thank you so much for listening links to all of the socials and various things I've mentioned. They can all be found in the description. Thank you again. Goodbye.